I don't look at guest blogs as the, you know, one and done, end all, be all, that's it. Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, what's up, listeners? Welcome back to Traffic Jam. This is show number 66 of the podcast that teaches you how to get more traffic to your website and build a profitable audience online. I'm your host, James Reynolds, and very excited to be back behind the mic here at Traffic Jam Towers recording another show because it has been a few weeks now since I recorded a Traffic Jam episode. And extremely excited for this show particularly because we're joined by Tommy Walker, a very accomplished content marketer who's done some great things for people like Conversion XL and Shopify. And Tom is going to be joining us to talk about guest blogging and what it really takes to create effective content online. So that's going to come right up in just a moment. Now, I just want to remind you, as always, to head on over to the episode page of Traffic Jam, which today is trafficjamcast.com forward slash 66, because you find there a bunch of episode goodies that accompany the show. And you can also join in on the discussion for this episode as well. So head on over there. It's trafficjamcast.com forward slash 66. The Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. So allow me to introduce our guest. He is Tommy Walker and he's a former actor turned gas station attendant turned consultant turned marketer. Now, he does use his excellent storytelling skills to explain exactly how that progression came about. And you can enjoy that right at the start of the interview. Unfortunately, though, minus a few seconds, because I did somehow manage to edit out a very small part right at the start of the interview. But I hope it doesn't spoil your enjoyment. I'm sure it won't. So here we go. Let's introduce and welcome to Traffic Jam, Tommy Walker, for a discussion all about content marketing and guest blogging. Say bitten by the bug when you do your first play, and I, I couldn't get enough. Um, and from about the age of 10 to 19, 20, uh, I went to be a career actor. I did independent film. I did commercials. I did stage. I did anything I could possibly get my hands on. And uh, my resume became quite impressive. I actually graduated from the only film acting conservatory in the country, which had a less than uh, 4% acceptance rate, which was more competitive than NYU. It was a very big achievement. And um, the major thing that happened was I moved home and I said, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to save up, you know, 600 bucks is all I need to go back to New York and get my headshots. Uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to get my headshots and then I'm going to like become a daytime drama actor because that's where the money's at in the first place. And, uh, it, and it didn't work out, right? I was, I moved home from Manhattan. I moved to Manhattan when I was 17. Um, I was there from 17 to 19. I figured that I learned, I knew everything at 19 years old. And when I moved back to my small town in New Hampshire and back home, um, I ended up getting kicked out of my house. Uh, 
because you know I was 19 I knew it all and and what do I care about being coming home at four o'clock in the morning that's not a big deal um so I ended up moving in with uh, some friends of mine and I slept on their couch for probably about two years and in that time I worked at the gas station across the street from uh my my apartment at the time and my my outlook on the gas station job was very different than most of the people that I worked with at the time. And it was very, um, I figured everybody in the world needs gas in order to get to where they're going. And it's one of the few jobs that you will ever have where you will see a cross-section of pretty much anybody uh, from all walks of life, right? You've got the people who lives in the apartment complex with me, but also like highfalutin businessmen coming in because everybody needed to pay for their gas. Uh, taking that approach, I tried to be as friendly as possible to everybody and uh, worked on some serious customer service skills and got to know who people were and what they needed. And, uh, you know, I would have people's cigarettes ready for them ahead of time or memorize their orders or got to know their families or whatever. I mean, it was it was just a really friendly job. And how hard is it to sweep and mop floors and make coffees? Um, right. So uh, from that, I actually got recruited into an Internet startup that uh, was in my town. Um, and it was, it was growing and, uh, they asked me to be on their sales floor and I thought, you know, Hey, this would be a good change of pace. And this is kind of why I keep this type of attitude. And, um, I failed miserably on the sales floor over there. Um, it was one of my customers at the gas station who said, Hey, you'd be a good fit over here. And, uh, I tried on the sales floor and basically I just kind of sucked at getting people's credit card numbers over the phone. And uh, they said, well, you know, um, you could, we see that you're a hard worker and that you have the right personality, uh, but, you know, you, you, you're terrible at grabbing credit card information. Why don't you try marketing? And they said, you've got two weeks to make your own money. Uh, here's what you have to do in order to do that and uh, go. And within the first week, I made my own money and uh, a, a year went into that and it was great. Um, but the company ended up losing its way and, uh, the, the founder, it actually, the, the, the whole company went from this position of like honesty, integrity, don't tell the client what they need to hear in order to make the sale to a hundred people on the sales floor going, you know, money, money, money. And it was this very like wolf of wall street type scenario, um, where, you know, there was the, the founder at one point, one of the co-founders uh, had a hundred dollar bill and he lit it on fire and was like, I don't need this because I can make more. And it was like, Oh my God. So I left and, uh, you know, I ended up going back into like crappy gas station job and then went from gas station job to a, a retail job, ended up getting fired over the retail job, uh, at the retail job over a pair of pants and, and said, you know, I could either try to get a job in the worst economy America seen in a long time, or I can start working for myself within two weeks. I had my first client and it's been a build since then. It's actually quite, an unlikely story in in many senses. I mean, you've ended up in the field of marketing, but you started out in an industry that almost needs no marketing and needs no sales, right? The gas station doesn't need to market too much because as soon as the car runs out of petrol, it turns into the gas station. And you don't really need to convince the guy that's walked into the gas station, run out of petrol to part with money for gas. He needs gas. So right. it, it's kind of, you've gone from that environment to one where you're now, you know, doing marketing. It, it's quite an unlikely turnaround. Interesting stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and the cool part about the gas station is like, there's there's one thing that I did learn from like, if I'm looking at it from the marketing perspective, though, is like everybody has that need. But when it comes to the branding aspect of it, um, the gas station that I worked at was actually one of the better branded ones. And it had a much friendlier environment. And it's when it comes down to, you know, two companies and one is the one doing the bare minimum and one makes an actual friendly environment and they care about that. Um, you will always go to the one that with the friendlier environment, even if it means paying a couple cents more. And that's a very valuable lesson that I hadn't even thought of until now. So thank you. Yeah, there you go. No, creating an environment that makes the sale that much easier and that much more comfortable, which you'll know all about being a conversions guy, removing resistance and making things sort of, sort of free and easy is very, very important. So yeah, yeah, even the gas station can learn from this stuff. Well, anyway, let's get on to the kind of more serious questioning. Reading a blog post of yours, which I think was posted relatively recently, you said that clicks are the currency of the internet and we need to understand more about what motivates consumers to click to obviously attract more of that currency. What are your top lessons for really understanding sort of consumer behavior across these different platforms that all of us get involved with these days? You know, a lot of it comes down to uh, qualitative research, right? Uh, I think a lot of us spend, you know, we get really wrapped up in the idea of creating this, you know, packaging our messaging and, and making it so it's um, something that people want to hear. But a lot of times we're not actually asking questions, right? We, we forget that there are people on the other side of this and that they have questions and real legitimate concerns. And um, from what I've done uh, is, from the content perspective anyways, is going, let's look at uh, kind of quantitatively what types of stuff gets traffic from these channels and then see what we can do to run surveys and whatnot from those individual channels to get deeper into those problems, concerns, questions that people from those specific channels might have. Um, from a traffic standpoint, what that ends up doing is it allows me to create content that says, you know what, I think I, I, I can pretty much guarantee based on the surveys that I've been running right now that this post is going to do well over Facebook. This post is going to perform extremely well over uh, over email, right? When you start to understand the psychology of the different channels that you have, um, you can start to repackage things just ever so slightly if it means even just tweaking a headline a little bit um, to, to go more with what's in line with those channels. Uh, Upworthy, as much as you know, the, the bane of content marketers' existence when it comes to gaining attention, that's one of the major things that they've done where they will repackage information um, based on whether it's email or Twitter or Facebook. Um, and I think it's because they're doing that, that level of research and finding out, you know, what people about, over those channels care about the most. Yeah. What practical tips have you got for implementing that? Because everyone says, look, configure your content so that it is better for Twitter, Facebook or wherever else, perhaps by, you know, adjusting your settings within WordPress. So the snippet looks different, but no one often really says how it should be changed per channel. Is that kind of an open question? It really requires research or is there any sort of frameworks or guidelines that you can adapt to make your content more relevant for each of those channels regardless? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, is, it is a bit of a broad answer because it is, it's very specific to each channel um, and for each company behind it, right? Um, but the most practical thing I could say is use a tool like Qualaroo 
um, not to go on a plug spree here, but use a tool like Qualaroo to um, run those types of surveys specifically for each channel, right? So you can ask different questions of your Facebook audience than you could of your Twitter audience. Um, and it, it, it sounds fluffy. Um, and I, and I totally understand that. Uh, but also it takes a, it takes looking at like the analytics reports and asking the right questions using those types of tools, um, in order to get that type of feedback, get the feedback that's going to help you rewrite the snippets and, and everything else. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you have to be doing it. It's not like, uh, I can't say like, I can't give a general piece of advice on that. Well, let's talk a little bit about your own content approach. And you have got, well, at least it appears from the outside, a slightly contrarian approach in that you seem to post more to other people's websites than perhaps you do to your own. What's the reasoning behind that? <laughs> um, other people pay me more than I pay myself. <laughs> well, there you go. That, that's a simple and effective answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, th there was there was a period of time uh, about a year ago. I'd actually, I thought that my business was going to be all done. I thought it was over. And um, because I had had a client that started paying half payments and then splitting them up further and further. And then eventually I had to fire them. Um, and uh, essentially I went on this spree where I said, you know what? I got to make a couple hundred dollars an article. And it It, it stinks. But that's what I have to do, and um, I ended up finding uh, some some work guest posting work over at Conversion XL, and uh, I posted for two hundred dollars an article there. And what I didn't realize was happening at the same time was I was also building up a profile, um, and more people started to become more and more familiar with my work. And uh, as the result of having to spit out as much content as I was in order to make ends meet. Um, it was there was this kind of simultaneous effect of like my work was getting better because I was doing more of it, um, but also the profile was getting raised at the same time. Um, and I mean, for me, it's about getting in front of audiences who who need it the most. I feel bad for the people who started following me in the first place. Um, but the truth is, is the last time I started, I was really writing for my blog. I was in a very different place career wise, and. Uh, you know, I need to I need to do a better audience development for my own material, I suppose. Mm. Have you got plans in the pipeline to do that? Uh, y yes. <laughs> um, yes, it's a matter of execution time, though, and I need to be building up uh, my own support network on my side. Right now, I'm full-time content marketer over on Shopify, so, um, you know, it's it. my own material takes kind of a backseat to the full-time stuff. Um, and I'm not really in the, I, I'm not in it necessarily to have a high profile, right? I do, I do the work that I do because I very much enjoy it, uh, not looking to become business famous by any stretch. If it happens, it happens, but that's, that's really where I'm at. Well, for you, it's been slightly different it, that that exposure and, and that audience is a byproduct of what you were doing. But I guess for other people, that would be the main purpose and perhaps the reason that they were looking at doing guest blogging. What advice would you give to others who are looking to get into guest blogging, you know, particularly to grow their own audience? How would they go about sort of finding and selecting guest post opportunities? Oh, man. I mean, what I did originally with um, I took John Morrow's guest blogging course a few years back, and that was an absolutely just it, it was a mind blowing experience. Um, what a lot of it comes down to, and I can say this from the editor's perspective, is that sites that are 
looking that do guest posts um, generally have a huge. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of crap pitches, right? A lot of people aren't doing their research and a lot of people are looking out for themselves when it comes to that. Um, what I did to get on Conversion XL, I mean, Pep was looking for a guest blogger on the pro blogger job board, right? So there's that. Um, that's always, there's always a resource there. Uh, Craigslist has some really great stuff uh, where you can find guest blogging work. Um, and really just look at the sites that are out there that take guest blogging that are with or guest posts that are within your own market. Um, one of the things that I did uh, when I'm when I'm going like into launch mode is I'll actually work my networks and find out, hey, who do I know at, you know, certain sites that I want to get onto and then just work the introductions. What a lot of people aren't talking about, uh, especially if you're on the outside of that sort of guest blogging circuit is that it's a very inside club, right? Like all of the editors talk to you know, a lot of the editors, not all of them, but a lot of the editors will talk to each other and uh, find out, hey, is this person any good? You know, who would you recommend? I'm looking for writers right now. I've got, you know, six, seven people right now asking me, hey, I'm looking to hire a full-time content guy. Do you know anybody, right? Um, and it's a lot of that relationship building and referral that works out, Um for me, when I started writing for like Unbounce, for example, um, it was because of the work that I did over at Conversion XL that I said, you know, uh, one of their their editor at the time was like, hey, this is a really great post. And I just jumped on the opportunity and said, hey, how come I'm not writing for you yet? Um, and and that was really what it came down to. Um, and then when somebody else saw my stuff on Unbounce, I, I'd be like, hey, I'd like to write for you, too. Um, and And there's this sort of like give and take effect where people are asking you, but you also have to put yourself out there. Um, and, and that's the big part, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot of just inf like a lot of conversation that happens within the emails where it's like, Hey, uh, I noticed like, let me, let me take a step back here for a second. So if I'm looking at unbounce, right? And I said, I know I want to get a guest blog here. Uh, the thing I'm going to do is type, you know, type their stuff into Open Site Explorer, find out what's gotten the most links in the past, right? Type that stuff in, type the same website into BuzzSumo, find out what's performed well over social in the past. Then I'm going to read all of the stuff that's there and try to pull apart what's worked for them in terms of content, uh, subject matter, and style, and length, and, you know, the way the whole thing is packaged. And then I'm going to look for gaps in the uh, gaps in where the audience has um, trouble. Right? People are going, "Oh, this is a great post," but I wonder, blah 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 blah. I'll then take all of that information and I'll put it into an email where I say, you know, I find out who the editor is and I go, "Hey, uh, I was looking at your site and I noticed that uh, you know these posts right here did well. Your audience has questions on this. I'm proposing a topic that." you know, the headline would basically address that and give a small synopsis of what the post would be about. And then it's either, it's a waiting game. It's either a yes or a no. Um, but from the editor's perspective, uh, being the person who's, you know, accepted guest posts that have 2,500 words, um, a lot of it comes down to just the willingness to do the research ahead of time and, and understand the audience before you put the, put the pitch out there. Yeah. Uh, and I can tell, I'll tell you, most editors I know and myself can spot, uh, you know, a thinly veiled pitch for yeah. your stuff right off the bat. 
Totally. I mean, I've had success with a similar approach and, and a hat tip to Neil Patel because I think I got the approach and the the sort of, you know, version one of my sort of script from something that he produced. And it, and it is literally that approach is really identifying, well, who do I want to target? Seeing what content has performed well, seeing where the gaps are, and then literally going to them and saying, hey, I know your audience really well. You know, I've been following your blog for some time, which you should actually have been doing. And then saying, hey, I love this bit of content, but perhaps here's where some gaps are. I know you may not have time to produce that content yourself. How about I do it for you? And that I mean, that's an appropriate pitch because you're putting content in front of them that is actually going to be of interest to their audience. And if you're a good enough writer, there's no reason they shouldn't look at that sort of approach, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, there's, there is a bit of a disclaimer on this too, right? Um, when I first started guest blogging, there was a lot more traffic that came from guest blogs. Um, now I would say that there's a lot of byline blindness, right? Um, you know, and I, I think Greg Chiotti was actually one of the guys who who coined that term. Um, I don't look at guest blogs as the, you know, one and done, end all, be all, that's it, right? Um, in fact, I've had guest posts go live and I've seen barely noticeable blips in my own traffic. However, um, if you look at it as the beginning of a long-term relationship and you start working with these places on a little bit more of a regular basis, uh, you can build up your own profile and brand recognition or name recognition uh, when you're on that site. And then, then that traffic starts to come in a little bit more. Um, the way I kind of, uh, the metaphor I create is like, if you saw a commercial for something only once and that was it, you probably forget almost right away. Um, but if you see, you know, a steady stream of stuff coming from that same company, um, then you're more likely to remember it and then check it out uh, when it's relevant to what you need. Yeah, but there's also no doubt some nuances to trying to extract that traffic away from those outposts. And I'm sure having written a fair amount of posts for others, you've probably started to understand what some of those might be. How would you go about structuring a post at least to sort of direct people away from there to your own property, even if you're not sort of bashing people over the head with a, a call to action or a free this, that, and the other. How might that best be structured? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's actually great. Um, I, I talk about this concept, uh, or I've kind of thought about this concept anyways. I've talked about it with very few uh, people. Um, it's the idea of active links versus passive links, right? If you're writing something in and you link to it in, in the context of the post, um, the verbiage that you use in that line leading up to the link um, is very important because you're building up either a set of uh, something that's intriguing or something that you can just gloss over, right? I'm sure that you, I mean, tell me, have you ever read, read a post in every link that you click? You're like, you have five more things to read when you're done? Yeah. Right. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the way that those those uh, links are kind of worded, right? It's not just a matter of like, oh, yeah, and something, 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 product market fit, something, something, something. It's like, oh, yeah, and the results that came from this experiment, and if that was the link, you know, and that's over what's on your site, like, you can you can build up that intrigue, but it's a matter of having the wordsmithing skills in order to do that um, and, and really bake that into the post. Um, and that's that's what I found works the best because you know by the time someone gets to the byline, if they get to the byline, they don't care. Like it it doesn't matter. 
Well, the post's over, isn't it? I mean, by the time you've got to the byline, the content has been delivered. They've ended on something. They've probably got some pondering time to take it all in. Are they really going to scan through the byline and, and click off? It's not that likely, right? Yeah, no. And I've had, I mean, there have been plenty of sites when I was editor at Conversion XL. There were plenty of things where I wrote, like, it was the most epic piece of information that I had and still the owner of the site was getting credit for a lot of the a lot of the writing as he should because he he built the audience initially but you know there's a lot of that like if i go to the undance blog or if i go to marketing land blog it doesn't matter who the writer is you know what i mean like i don't yeah. care about who the writer is it's the content that's on that blog so in my mind it's all the same um but if you're building up that sort of intrigue that goes through uh you know someone clicks over to your site uh, as long as you're not being crappy with the stuff that you're linking to, um, and as long as you're a good writer, and that's the big secret, as long as you're a good writer, most editors don't care if you're linking to your own stuff. Like, it, but you have to, but you have to make it so it's not overtly, like, hey, come over to Crazy Eddie's website, you know? Like, come on. Um, so yeah, it's it it mostly comes down to the act of linking versus passive linking and, and knowing kind of the psychology behind what gets that click, right? What what makes you want to click when you're reading through a post? Well, exactly. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? We've got to sort of think about what's going to drive that action. There's actually a good interview I did with um, Brian Harris that I might suggest also we linked off in the show notes that talked about you know, some of the concepts that you're describing about how to sort of build up to the link or build up to a call to action by increasing intrigue as you go. And he used the sort of metaphor of um, television shows and how they sort of place little clues at the start of the show as to what's coming at the end to get people really hooked in and want to get to that next part. And, and that's, I guess, a lot like you would do in the structure of your post to try and get people then to take whatever action you want them to take, whether it be a link click or comment or whatever other action it might be. Absolutely. And some of the best advice that I could give to somebody looking to do more of the content marketing guest blogging type stuff um, is read books on screenwriting, right? TV shows do this. I mean, you've got a show that's supposed to, you know, 24 episodes that last an hour a piece. Like, how do you get people tuning in every week to do that stuff or binge watch, right? People say that attention spans are dead and I, I, I think that's bull. I think that quality content is weaning because um, words are cheap to produce now, you know? Um, so anyways, that's, that's my advice. Uh, Lou Hunter's Screenwriting 101 or 401, I think is the name of the book. I would highly recommend reading that just to see how like screen, screenplays are, are put together um, and then work that stuff into your articles themselves. Great. Well, moving on a little bit from guest blog, I know you're a big believer in private groups and forums and communities, and you found that that's a really good traffic source for you. What is it about those kind of closed wall communities that make them such an effective traffic source? Uh, there are two things. Um, one, there's actually conversation happening and it's completely unsolicited. So you can, if you're, if you're paying attention to what's going on in private groups and forums, um, Outside of the ones that are overtly everybody in there is being self-promotional, um, you can see what actual challenges are. Um, so there's there's that. But then the other part is is once you're seeing what those challenges are, um, you're able to create content that is uh, inherently social, is also media, but happens to be marketing is, is the way I like to put that. Um, 
but then the other part is it's not just like oh let's look at five or six different groups i'm i'm thinking like what what i like to do is build a spreadsheet of like 50 or 60 and then rate them um on a on a scale of you know on three different scales uh one is knowledge level of the group are these guys smarter than me um or do i feel like you know maybe i can be the smart guy in the room uh overall conversation that's happening in the group right are people actually talking to each other um and what the what's the quality of that conversation um Right. There are a lot of groups where there's everyone's like, oh, this is a great article or thanks for putting that out there. But nobody's actually like trying to help each other out. Um, But then there are other places where it's like, hey, I'm having a problem. And then like 500 people are going, here's a here's a here's a possible solution. Right. So there's the conversation score and then there's the overall interaction. Do people actually talk to each other uh, at all? Um, So by putting all that stuff together in one massive spreadsheet, um, you're you're looking at you know immersing yourself in different areas of your market, um, and then creating content that addresses specifically what those problems are, and also being able to insert you know insert any piece of content that you might have into conversation when it's the most appropriate. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to perhaps make that framework available, at least summarize it perhaps in the show notes, because I think that's an excellent, excellent tool. I too have had good, good, good luck, I'd say, with communities and they much more engaged than many other places online because they tend to be very sort of passionate audiences. And quite often they've invested money to be there, which makes them more likely to sort of commit to it and, and be involved on a more regular basis. And they, of course, are very niche as well. So I think they're excellent sources and often overlooked as people go to these bigger networks, you know, the real good quality traffic, the real good audiences that are very much aligned to what you're doing tend to be in these types of places yeah it's the difference between having you know uh, a small meetup at, at your local cafe or bar versus going to a, com- a convention right you're gonna have much better quality of conversation that's going to be happening um outside of the bigger bigger scope yeah Awesome. Well, I think, Tommy, let's wrap things up there. I'd like also to make sure that our listeners can go off and find out more about you. Now, you do live in various places online. Where's the best place we can send people off to? Uh, Right now is the Shopify blog. So shopify.com forward slash blog. And I post typically on Wednesdays. (laughs) There you go. So we'll get that scheduled in. So you, the listener, to find the links to Tommy at Shopify blog, then uh, head on over to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 66, where you'll find that link and a bunch of others too, all relating to this show. So trafficjamcast.com forward slash 66. Well, thanks, Tommy. That's been an absolute blast. We've covered a lot and some really interesting topics of conversation today. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. So that was Tommy Walker for show number 66. Thank you, as always, for tuning into Traffic Jam. We will, of course, be back with another episode real soon. And to ensure that you don't miss out on that, as soon as it's released, go to trafficjamcast.com forward slash iTunes or trafficjamcast.com forward slash Stitcher to subscribe via your favorite podcast player. 
Now, you can also head on over to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 66, which is where you'll find the episode page for this show. You can join in on the discussion there and also download some special episode bonuses. So head on over there right now. It's trafficjamcast.com forward slash the number 66. Now, we end this week's show with a traffic jam chosen by Tommy Walker. He's gone for a track called Can't Kill Us, and it's by The Glitch Mob. So enjoy the track, and I'll see you back here real soon.
listening to the Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. To know more about this program and to subscribe for future episodes, check out the website trafficjamcast.com.